James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brother. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's just pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we, I just pray that these will not simply be my words, but rather they be your words for your people today. Lord, that we might learn from you and from your word. In, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm afraid I'm going to show my age today a little bit because it was 51 years ago when I was appointed to the Cogra Baptist Church in Sydney as a youth leader when I was in Bible college. A great bunch of kids they really were and still are, a lot of them. Uh, one of the, Three of those boys in that group became, uh, well, they were, worked for Qantas. And one in particular, a boy named Peter Engler, rose up through the ranks. Peter started as a flight steward. He then went up through the ranks and eventually became a pilot. And then after that, he uh, rose even further to the point where when he was on the plane, he was actually in charge, virtually in charge of the plane. He was responsible for all the medical emergencies, all the uh, security 
for the flight deck, the pilots, the whole thing. <clears throat> it was about uh, the mid-1990s when Peter boarded a flight in Frankfurt, Germany, Qantas flight QF006, and it was leaving in the evening and it was headed for Bangkok uh, uh, in a 747-400, actually, and uh, it was an 11-hour flight. And from Bangkok, it would later go to Singapore, where most of the Qantas planes used to, to meet, and they'd all go out mostly to Australian cities. <clears throat> well, prior to takeoff, Peter was um, checking the passenger list, and he noticed that there was a doctor coming on board uh, in first class with a sizable medical container, which contained bone marrow, for a match for a young female that was in Melbourne, Australia. And we need to remember that this bone marrow has a lot of shelf life of 24 hours, and he had to be in Melbourne before that 24 hours was up. At the same time, QF002 was on the tarmac at Heathrow, London, and it was due to leave at around about the same time, and rendezvous in Singapore with 006, and the doctor would change planes and go to Melbourne and the bone marrow was set to get through in time. <clears throat> well, Peter said, tells me that um, they left Frankfurt in normal fashion, and but 90 minutes into the flight, with the meal service running at full swing, Peter received a message from the flight deck, would he please come up and talk to the pilots? He said as he opened the door, the first thing he noticed was that three of the thrust levers, which are really just the the throttles for the engines were forward and one was right back. Uh, Qantas in Melbourne had been, like they do with all the planes, had been monitoring this plane and they had noticed that number one engine was overheating and they had given the pilot's instruction to shut the engine down and turn around and go back. And so Peter was called up to chat this over with them. Now, they decided they couldn't go back to Bangkok, uh, not to Bangkok, they couldn't go back to uh, Germany, to uh, Frankfurt, because the curfew would come in and they wouldn't be allowed to land. And even if they did, they wouldn't be able to take off again when the plane was fixed. So they opted to go back to Heathrow, London. And so they slowly turned the plane around. Hopefully the passengers weren't noticing. And in the meantime, the pilot said we'd to Peter, would you please turn the in-flight map displays off on the back of the seats so the passengers don't, won't know where they're going and they won't get scared? So this they did, and they headed to Heathrow on three engines. Well, they landed in Heathrow quite safely a bit after midnight. The first thing that Peter noticed was that QF002, which was supposed to have been on its way to Singapore, was still sitting on the tarmac at Heathrow. And he inquired, why was this so? And they said, well, there's a story behind that also. There was, they were taxiing to take off and a man in, in the, in the passenger, amongst the passengers started getting chest pains. It looked like he was having a heart attack. So they aborted the takeoff, went back to the terminal and that man was taken to hospital by ambulance. So Peter thought, right. And then he asked them, do you have any spare seats on that plane? Because they were about to leave. And uh, I said, yes, we have one. He said, good, I have a passenger for that seat. And that was the doctor with his um, bone marrow. So they transferred and he asked would they not take off and leave the terminal until this doctor had got on board the plane. So that meant then that 
QF002 was able to head for Singapore, a 14-hour flight, and uh, they had actually loaded a bit of extra fuel so the plane could travel a little bit faster. And even though it was to stop in Singapore, as far as they knew, that little girl would still get her bone marrow in time for the operation. That's not the end of the story. The next day, Peter was uh, receiving the passengers onto the plane that had given the trouble, and uh, that was all right. Everything seemed to be fine. And he sat down when they were in flight. And the man next to him said, oh, look, I want to apologise. I really mucked you people around yesterday. He said, we were, we were about to take off. And he said, I had all these chest pains. And they took me back to the terminal. And I ended up in hospital. But when the nurses checked me, I, there was nothing wrong with me. And he said, now here I am back on the plane again. And Peter said, well, let me tell you a story. There was a little girl who needed this bone marrow in Melbourne and your empty seat provided the seat for that doctor to get it there. That bone marrow, people, was a, was a present. It was a kind of a, a special gift, a life-changing gift for that little girl. And when Peter told me that story, I, I couldn't help but think of the birth of Jesus. You know, that little girl received her bone marrow under the most unusual and different circumstances, circumstances you would not expect to happen. Now, how unusual and different can you ever get than what happened to Mary and Joseph? Here we have a young couple. Uh, as far as I know, they were only engaged, betrothed, the Bible says. They, uh, the, the wife-to-be finds herself pregnant. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how she explained that to Joseph, but I reckon it wouldn't have been very easy. Uh, but Joseph, and also, by the way, we it's most likely that Mary was only a teenager at this time. So you can imagine the trauma these two are going through because an unmarried mother in those days, according to Jewish law, could be stoned to death. So they're in all sorts of danger. And uh, Joseph, being a just man, decides, no, he won't marry Mary, but he won't put it to shame either, and that he would um, divorce her uh, in a quiet manner and, and put her away and uh, not make a fuss about it. Well, that evening, of course, as the story says in Matthew, the uh, an angel came to Joseph in a dream and said, don't, don't hold back from taking Mary to you to you as your wife, because what is conceived there is by the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is to be, and his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, it happened, of course, that um, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the whole Roman world was to be taken in a census. And so Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. Now, as you know, there were no sterile instruments or birthing sheets in the manger in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it was amazing that the Lord of glory, we've got to remember, let's just remember who this is that's being born. This isn't just any child. This is the Lord of glory. This is the Son of God that's come from a place that we can only imagine. The Bible says that God is preparing a place for us where that we will be there with him too. But we can only imagine what it's going to be like. 
And so in a very special way, Jesus, as Robert read in James, every good and perfect gift comes from God. doesn't matter what it is. And Jesus, of course, was the ultimate gift to mankind, not just for those that might have lived, but for everyone that will ever live or ever has lived. He is their gift because he paid a price that none of us can pay. None of us will, nothing that we could ever do, nothing that we could ever say, and nothing that we could ever pay will ever pay for the salvation that our God has offered us. We need to take stock of that and really understand it. Now, it just happens that um, I preached this sermon back at Marul on the 10th of December. Um, and the interesting part about that was that I did something I've never done before. Sunday afternoon on the 10th, it was 37 degrees, and I said, I'm starting to shake my head, and I said, and I'm praying, talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, it's 37 degrees, that little church is hot, there's no air conditioning, there's no power, people are not going to want to come. And when they, if they do come, they're going to be hot and bothered and they're not going to want to listen. Lord, I just ask you for a little cloud and maybe a shower of rain. And I left it at that. So off we went and all us musicians, Trish Fairman, myself and Tim Sanders, we got there about an hour early. I opened the doors, went in, got ourselves set up and started to practice music. And it was hot. On the way, I'd noticed there was a bit of a storm out to the south, but it was clear over Marul. Anyway, <clears throat> about half an hour, 40 minutes before the service, suddenly there's this heavy shower, lasted about 30 seconds. Then there was a wind, and the wind was hot, but amazingly the wind cooled. And so everybody scrambled and opened the windows in the church, and it blew, this cool air blew through. And I wouldn't say it was that cool, but it was bearable and it was okay. And 40 people came and we had a lovely afternoon and a lovely service. And I thought, you know, God knows how to organise things if you ask him. You've got to ask him first, but he does. And on this occasion, he most certainly did for me because he answered that prayer that afternoon and uh, it was a wonderful thing. You know, but we'll come back to just finally to Jesus again, coming in the way that he did. You know, he didn't come like any king would normally come. He didn't have all the servants and the grandeur and the fancy royal place to live in. Where did he come? He ended up being laid in an animal's feeding trough. Why did the Lord of glory do this? There's a very simple and definite reason for it. He came to identify with the people who needed him. And remember he said uh, once in the Bible, Jesus said, didn't I come? I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to bring sinners to repentance. And on another occasion he said, you know, when he was criticised for being with tax collectors and sinners and all the people, prostitutes and people that nobody wanted anything to do with, he said to the, uh, the uh, officials, he said, isn't it the sick that need a doctor, not those that are well? That's why he came. And who did he mix with? He mixed with the low, what society called the lowest of the low. But he did that on purpose. This is the Lord of glory. 
putting himself in the gutter, so to speak. No wonder he says that our righteousness is nothing better than filthy rags because that Jesus gave us an example to follow. So what we need to remember is to honour him, we need to make a priority of our relationship with him. And I have to say that my relationship has not been good all the time. Nobody's ever is, but I know definitely mine hasn't been. And I've lost my focus. But what I find is that when I get my focus and I do focus on him, then he honours that focus. He honours and it becomes a relationship because, you know, all the church attendance in the world isn't going to save us, but the relationship with Jesus is. And it's that relationship that we all need to have and that we all need to concentrate on because everything else will come automatically afterwards if we have that relationship. And so life can be pretty all-consuming for us, can't it? It doesn't matter what we're doing. If we're busy, it becomes really consuming and we, uh, we need sometimes to t stop and take stock of it because, you know, our lives are only a minuscule speck in comparison to eternity. Eternity is forever and ever and ever without stopping. You think about that. Eternity is huge. It's, we can't even imagine it because it doesn't stop. It doesn't ever end. Our God is eternal. He was always there. He always will be. And this life we're leading here on this earth is a privilege, and it's one that God has given us. And he's given, he hasn't just put us here uh, by chance. He's put us here and given us a job to do. He's given us a reason to be here. He's given us a reason for living. And he makes our lives what they really are meant to be. So the real reason that he was born, that Jesus was born in this humble way, was to pave, to ultimately come and be crucified and pay for the sin that wasn't his but was ours. He was our substitute. And his once and for all death on the cross is why he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one, absolutely no one comes to the Father but by me. We need to remember that. And I love to go back to Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus or those who put their trust in him. So Jesus is the, not only the ultimate Christmas present, he is the ultimate gift to every one of us for this life and for eternity. Let's let that sink in.